Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick Brown, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. <laughs> New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Pod. I am absolutely hyped. I've been hyped ever since this conversation ended because it will fire you up and just inspire you to really get in touch with yourself, your values, living an authentic life, and doing that by overcoming this constant worry about what other people think of us. Back on the pod today is one of my favorites, Dr. Mike Gervais. I met him through my time at USC. If you know Nicole Davis, who I've had on the show a few times, introduced me and we've stayed close and he's phenomenal. His podcast, Finding Mastery, is outstanding. And his new book, The First Rule of Mastery, Stop Worrying About What People Think of You, is out now. And you can actually find the link to get that book in the show notes for this episode. Now, Dr. Mike is a high-performance psychologist. He works with celebrities, gold medalists, Fortune 500 CEOs, and more, training the mindset skills and practices essential to release one's highest potential. And he is literally the best of the best. Sometimes I'm shocked that he's not just like, I don't know, hiding away somewhere in like this insane mansion, only working with the most elite human beings on earth. But instead, he takes the time to come on RealPod, have his own podcast, post free content, They even prepared this amazing guiding document that RealPod listeners can use that I'm so excited about. It's so well done, and you'll hear more about that in the episode, so make sure you listen all the way through. But you're going to love this. And one quick thing before we start is Dr. Mike will use the term FOPO quite a bit. And I want to clarify and let you know that FOPO means fear of people's opinions. So it's kind of synonymous with this worry about what people think of you. Before we get started, I want to give one quick shout out. And this shout out goes to Blake. Hi, Blake. Blake left a five star review, said obsessed with RealPod. I absolutely love following Vic on Instagram. And the extra dose of her you get with this podcast is the best. She talks about such important stuff. And as as a therapist, I love hearing someone with her platform use it in this way. Oh my gosh, Blake, I'm so honored. We love a mental health professional, okay? Thank you for spending some of your time listening to RealPod, and I hope you love this episode. I know you will because Dr. Mike is also doing that good work. If you want to receive a shout out on next week's episode, please leave me a review. Tell me your favorite part of this episode with Dr. Mike, and I will shout you out next week. Without further ado, let's get started and dive into this conversation on how to stop worrying about what people think about us with the one and only Dr. Mike Gervais. 
Dr. Mike, welcome back to RealPod. I'm so excited to have you. It feels like yesterday was 2020. We were on Zoom. Now you're here in the flesh. You got a book out. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I'm so stoked to be here. And congratulations on everything that you've done. Like you're making a real impact for people and it's awesome to follow your work as well. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, and the way you're going about it is, I think it's squaring up exactly with what I've been researching for the last couple of years. Like you're making a radical, uncommon push to be your authentic self. And so again, I know I said it earlier, but I'm stoked to follow what you're doing. It's really cool. Thank you. I'm honored. And I'll never forget too, from our first interview, which if anyone listening didn't listen to that, still go. It's a timeless interview. You had a one-liner of, there are no big moments in life. There is only this moment. Mm. And I think about that often. Do you? Mm -hmm. So how has that like influenced the way that you spend, you know, your time? I feel that I have previously been like future oriented or ruminated on the past. I think too, as an athlete, it's like, how do we learn from our mistakes to like make them better in the future? You're, you're, you're always thinking of past and future and you're never present. And I've recently been trying to do a lot of work with presence. And it's like that hit me at the time. And it's making even more sense to me now when I realize the only moment that we do have is the one that we're in. And if you listen to, I don't know, ESPN or any of the, you know, the sports commentaries is that the hype machine will say it's the biggest play. It's the biggest game of their life. This is, you know, this is it. And it's like this bigness of a moment. And that's cool. Like you can go through life that way and there's, you can navigate that philosophy just fine. However, it's hard to prepare and practice for a big moment later. But what you can practice for is being fully present in this moment and then try to be on time for the next moment. And so then if you're practicing being present, when that quote unquote, once thought of being a big moment, could be a wedding, which I know you recently had, could be a Super Bowl or Olympics or whatever, that it's just another moment because you know how to just settle into whatever moment you're in. And so I know that I can practice that on a consistent basis and it's created great freedom for me. And it's one of the ways that we work with elite athletes is early on, it's not a right or wrong, really. But early on, we say, okay, when you're going to the games, and so this is like a four-year quad for an Olympic team, how do you want to think about the games? The biggest game, the biggest show on earth, the craziest whatever, or do you want to think about your volleyball game, if we're thinking about volleyball? Do you want to think about this as just another game? The rules are the same. The court size is the same. Ball weight is the same. There's no snipers up in the audience, usually, that are, you know, there's no physical consequence if you make a terrible mistake or whatever. So how do you want to think about it? Most people say they want to think about it as just another game, but then when they arrive, if they're not trained or practiced, they arrive and kind of undo all of that good work and they, I don't know, become a smaller version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Even as you say that, like I have a part of me who's like, I remember this when I was playing sports, I'd like be like, okay, I'd say the right thing. I'm trying to keep it calm. Then I'd be like, it's the season opener, like, and a big right. part of yeah. me wants to like exactly. freak out. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's it. So that if you find one that feels more organic to you, big moment, just another moment, it doesn't mean that you want to lose the specialness of any moment. It means that you want to figure out how to be aligned with that principle, with that philosophy. And the alignment requires a certain set of training. So if you want to see it as the big, the big thing, cool, then you've got to practice your life having reps at big stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's got to be in, you know, a 10 out of 10 as often as you possibly can. That's just, I don't know that it's kind of hard to think about manufacturing that. Yeah. You know, like practice is different than games. Or like if I were to just jump around and scream and like, you know, get out all that like energy in the locker room and then walk out and try to be calmer. But what you're saying reminds me of something that's becoming more clear to me now that previously when people would talk about being present, it almost felt like the opposite of what I knew, like ambition to be and drive to be. And I felt like, well, if I'm just enjoying the present moment, I'm not thinking about how to like build my empire and take over the world. And is that, is that, is that what we're doing? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, that's just like the way like it yeah, comes out. Right. But my current realization is, whoa, when I'm actually slow and I'm doing what I'm doing when I'm doing it, well, it feels better. The anxiety disappears. I'm 
better at what I'm doing and I'm actually going to like be able to get further and have a more ideal end game than when I'm on phone calls and I'm checking my email and then I'm worrying about this and I'm thinking about that and I'm never really like with what's happening. Hmm. I'm starting to actually f- feel it. I don't know if I can verbalize it, but I feel yeah, you're, it. You're on it. Yeah. High performance like that matters to you and many people in our community. So there's authenticity, so there's happiness and joy and fulfillment and meaning. And these are all psychological underpinnings of how to live life. And all of those happen and are experienced in the present moment. So if you want to increase the quality of your life, it would make sense to increase the frequency of time you spend absorbed in the present moment. That does not mean that, and there's a whole set of practices that you can do to increase that. And we can, we can definitely pull back the curtain there, but that doesn't mean that you're just going for the ride of life and whatever the moment presents you. It doesn't mean that it, there's a time and a place to think deeply to cultivate the right internal and external resources to take over the world. Right? <laughs> I just mean like, you know, that, no, that ego fun. voice in my mind is like, become oh, okay. really successful. <laughs> well, there's, there's awesome. Like, that's really good. And it's what you do with that voice and it's what you do with it. And even if it is this, I want to be wildly externally successful. I wanted to have the house on the top of the hill. I want to have the biggest bank account, da, 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 whatever it might be. That as long as you have an a logical way that you are thinking about squaring that and it's authentic to you, okay, that's this is like the adult choices that we make. You can do whatever you want with your life. What I've come to learn though is if you miss the present moment, the likelihood of the later being special is radically decreased. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, most most people struggle with this because our minds are a bit undisciplined. Well, I find that that's one of the common threads I have seen in every person I've interviewed ever is they wanted this thing. I've had on Olympians. I've had on gold medalists. I've had on people who are uber successful. They have the house. They have the bank account. And not only are many of them like it's disappointing and it's not what I expected. Some of them have been like, I threw it all away because I didn't want it anymore, mm. which is just sh- but shocking because then but then those of us that haven't been there yet still want to do it for ourselves. Good Isn't point. that so ironic? Yeah, right. Of course. I mean, we all have our own choices to make in life and the things that we value are, it's not simple why we've come to value those things. Like you've got a genetic coding, you lived on a particular street in a particular neighborhood. Your grandparents had a unique story on on how they got here or maybe great grandparents. What is your heritage? My great grandparents on my mom's side immigrated from Greece Yeah, and my dad's didn't. So (laughs) he's just a classic white guy. (laughs) Well, you got here somehow. I know. Yeah. So the point is that like, that's a unique heritage to you. And so your genetic predisposition, the neighborhood, the culture, all the stuff that was said and unsaid has radical influence on how you show up in the world. And it's not until you make a real investment in your psychology, the way that you interpret events in your life, the way that you think about yourself, the way you speak to yourself, the way you interpret emotions, that's your psychology. And if you don't invest in it or study your own psychology, it's just left untapped. But there's so much that goes into those little micro choices that we make every moment. And that's what I've become fascinated on is how do we become better? Now, it's up to the person to define what better means. And for me, it means being at home with myself wherever I am, being able to access my creative and critical thinking to solve something that I'm stimulated by, even in high heat moments, even in pressure-packed or consequential environments. So that's this idea of mastery of self and mastery of craft and this unique intersection between the two. Real quick, I am so excited about this because I have been obsessed with this brand for the longest time, and it is Jenny Kane. Yay! Jenny Kane is sponsoring this episode of Real Pod. I just got a fresh new cardigan from them, and I am absolutely obsessed with it. It's the cashmere cocoon cardigan. It is dreamy. It is luxurious. It is gorgeous. It comes in so many colors. I got it in the oatmeal color. It goes with everything. If you've been following my stories, you would have seen that I was wearing it. And they have just so many cute items. I mean, all of their cashmere is seriously to die for. Also, this is an amazing gift. Like you need to get a gift for mom, sister, girlfriend, friend, giving them Jenny Kane. They will literally be ecstatic. 
And the best part is that Jenny Kane is giving RealPod listeners 15% off with promo code RealPod at JennyKane.com slash RealPod. This is major. Okay, 15% off Jenny Kane is great. So find your forever pieces at Jenny Kane and get 15% off with promo code RealPod at JennyKane.com slash RealPod. That's Jenny, J-E-N-N-I, Kane, K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash RealPod using code RealPod for 15% off your order. If you got something super cute, DM me or tag me so that I can see it. That's Jenny, J-E-N-N-I, Kane, K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash RealPod using code RealPod for 15% off your order. Now that it's the holiday season, some of us are updating our wardrobe, wanting some cute shoes, some holiday heels. Please trust me and look no further than Bionic because not only does Bionic have the best curated styles to get you ready for the season, okay, I'm talking rich leathers and suede for your workwear favorites, weather-ready boots for trips to the pumpkin patch, and performance sneakers to help you keep moving on your walks, all that good stuff. The most important thing and the reason I love them is because of their exclusive Viomotion technology. This is what truly sets them apart. Vionic began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Remember orthotics? I used to wear them when I was a kid. Well, today, Vionic continues to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling energized and confident all day long. I feel the difference when I slip my feet into a pair of Vionic shoes versus just any other regular pair because of the built-in arch support that Vionic shoes have. You can use code REALPOD15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account one-time use only. So head to www.vionicshoes.com and use code REALPOD15, REALPOD15 at checkout for 15% off your order when you log into your account one-time use only. But there's a 30-day guarantee return policy. You have nothing to lose. Your new book, The First Rule of Mastery, Stop Worrying About What People Think of You, has a clear message. Stop worrying about what people think of you. So what made you want this to be the topic that you were going to dive into and unpack as opposed to the thousands of other things that, you know, you could have written yeah. this about? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. When I was 16, I saved up all of my money to buy a Mazda B2000 pickup truck, charcoal gray. It was like $3,000. And it's like, came from humble means. I saved my money and like, I was so excited to have a car. And I'm driving down the street and I remember I was like not a very proficient driver. I wasn't reckless by any means, but I had this moment of awareness where I was driving and there's a person going in the same direction of me on my left driving uh, past me, going a little bit faster. And I thought to myself, I wonder what he's thinking of me. And I straightened up my posture. I tried to lean in a cool way. And then I thought, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, why am I adjusting and attending all of my attention to, I don't know if that person's looking. I look over, he, he was not looking at me, right? I had this slow little pickup truck on the road. So that was like a lightning bulb moment for me about how I, think about myself related to other people. And I didn't like it. And I didn't do anything with it, but I didn't like how it felt. And I lived that way for a long time. I grew up in a, a loving home with a father who was an addict and a mom who was codependent. And they're a perfect fit. Codependent and addicts work well together. One makes a mess, the other cleans it up. And so I ended up having this craving, this desire to want to understand the truth. Like, what, what is the truth of it? But I had to figure out like how to be okay in that environment. It wasn't dangerous by any means, but I didn't, wasn't honest. Okay. So I got really good at blending in socially because I had to read if my dad was going to come home pissed off or the funniest human you've ever been around. And I had to read it. And fortunately, my friends got good at reading it as well. So like, <laughs> because our house was the hangout house. And so, because it was fun, sometimes scary, but it was, it was fun. And so I got really good at reading and that has served me well in the discipline of psychology, but I was reading to be able to um, fit in and be okay. And it's exhausting. 
Mm-hmm. I got to a place in my life where it's like, I just can't keep doing this anymore. And, but this was a private experience. I, I was embarrassed by it. I didn't want to talk about it because that's weak. Like checking in with other people to see if you're okay. Like, can't you just be strong enough to be okay yourself? Can't you have it all buttoned up and just know that you're okay? Like, what's wrong with you, Mike? And so I was embarrassed by it. So I didn't, I didn't talk about it. And then as I was in conversations, this is postgraduate training with some of the best in the world, they have it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you too. But I didn't really want to talk about it. So I didn't say it like that. And so I was just, you know, like psychologist hat is on and we're working on all the right cognitive behavioral, you know, trainings to help with that and a mindfulness practice to become more aware. And we can get into all the, the very powerful tools. But I started to notice that there's a lot of people that have it. And then over the last two years, so the way that this book came to be is I wrote an article about it. And the article, it was for Harvard Business Review. And it was titled, How to Stop Worrying About What Other People Think of You. And the key word here is worrying. It's not how to or the mandate stop thinking about what people think of you. This is about this preemptive worry about what they might think of you. As much of it is when you're in the present moment trying to see if you're okay, and I'll get into the biology of that in a minute. And so I wrote this article, and 12 months later, HBR called and said, hey, uh, this was the number one downloaded article on HBR. Can we do a book together? There's a formula here. Like, well, you hit a nerve. And as an entrepreneur, I was wrestling alligators, and it was not the right time for me to be able to do it. I, I didn't have the bandwidth. So they said, no problem. We'll come back around. 12 months later, they called and they said, hey, we re-released your article. It was again, the number one download article. And I said, great, timing is awesome. <laughs> Show me the way. And so we spent a couple of years doing the research. Come to find out Beethoven has FOPO, fear of people's opinions. Like one of the world's greatest ever had this deep suffering of worrying about what people were going to think of him. I'm fascinated with how all these people you've encountered and referencing Beethoven have this same thing too. Mm -hmm. So why? Are we born with it? Is that part of human programming? Can anyone be born and not care what people think? Yeah, they're sociopaths. (laughs) Like like narcissistic personality, you know, like NPDs actually care so much about what people think, but they don't feel it the way we do. But again, the word is not thinking or caring. The word here is worrying about what other people think. So if we're going to go to an event, a cocktail party or something. And like FOPO begins in the closet when you're picking your clothes that you want to wear. Are you picking the clothes because Susie and Johnny are going to think that you look good? Or are you picking it because you have a sense of how you're feeling in that day, what's going to feel comfortable and be exciting for you to wear or whatever the values that you have? Are you choosing for you or are you choosing for them? So that's like a concrete way to think about how there's an on-ramp to FOPO. That ends up corrupting our, our authenticity is when we're making decisions to be not rejected or to be accepted by other people. There's a corruption in the way that we end up going through life. Okay. It's not problematic in the most acute sense, but it becomes problematic when most of our choices and most of our attention is thinking about being okay later. The way it biologically works is that our brain is designed for survival. We have an ancient brain trying to sort out modern challenges. And that ancient brain, your ancestors and mine, they figured out how to ready ourselves without having to think if there's a wildebeest, a saber tooth, a warring tribe, whatever. Like there's an activation. You recognize it from sport, right? You recognize it from that readiness that takes place when you're about to go do something important. Now, our brain is highly tuned to survival And one of the parallel paths of survival that's not often talked about was if you got pushed out of the tribe, let's say you screw up, okay? So we're part of a large community of people and we're trying to live the good life and you really screw up and you and I are partnered in that way and you get kicked out and you have to square up with me like, I got kicked out. Now that means I got to go with you and let's say we've got some cousins or something. All right. So now if we're pushed out of the tribe, it's likely that survival was at a high risk. This is almost like a death sentence because we got to hunt, gather, forge, fire, protection of our family and and do it like 
by ourselves and not have all the resources of the tribe. So getting pushed out was a a near death sentence. I'm so glad I just watched Chimp Empire. Yeah. Because this is all it's, like it's, Chimp Empire on it's Netflix. Right. It's, isn't it great? No, honestly, yeah. watching that and thinking how we are not that different from them. We're not all. that different. So we've got this ancient brain that's still operating in that way. So that's why when we tune to other people, when we check in with other people, what we're doing is we're checking in to see if we're okay. Because if we're rejected, it's danger. And the problem is that when we tune, and they say something funny to them, but insulting to us or insulting to our friend that we conform and we laugh. We contort sometimes. We, we try to figure out how to like be okay socially by not prodding or poking the person that we perceive to have more status. And that, that is a, that's the corruption, if you will, of being a person that stands for something. I'm still a little mixed with the difference between the worrying and the caring because I could see myself dressing nice for Thanksgiving because I care about what my Yaya thinks because, you know, I want to be respectful to her and she's in town and it's the one day and what could I wear that would make Yaya happy? But that also could be framed as a worry. I'm worrying. What could I put on that Yaya will like because I care? Yeah, no, I think the words are pretty clear, like caring for somebody and worrying about what they think of you feels like miles apart. What's something that she says to you all the time? She goes, oh my God, you look so beautiful. Like I, you know, and she gives you compliments about what you're wearing. Yeah. Like anything red. It's her favorite color. Oh, there you go. So let's say you're going into the closet and you're like, okay, I know she likes red, but you know what? I made a promise to myself. I did some research, da, 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 whatever it might be. Like, I'm not doing red anymore. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like how I feel and whatever. Okay. And you're like, but I'm going to do it for her. And it's a loving act. That's pretty cool. Okay. That's not a big compromise, Mm -hmm. but if you're, if you've made it and you're like, ah, but I'm really worrying that she's going to like be disappointed and then I'm going to be embarrassed and I'm not going to to do with it. And then like my mom's going to be pissed off and then, all right. So there's a little bit of a different tone to that. And so caring and worrying are different. And the type of worrying that I'm pointing to is this excessive, non-clinical, this is not a clinical disorder. This isn't clinical anxiety. So it's below that threshold, but it's this excessive worry about, am I going to be okay later in their eyes? And one of the other on-ramps to that is happens at a very young age is that, especially if you're good at something young, volleyball. I don't know what else, what, what else were you good at? at I, played, I played a few other sports, but. So athleticism, you were athletic. You got attention for being athletic. And what ends up happening is between the years of 12 and 18 to 22, I'm just doing basic developmental psychology here. Our job is to try to figure out who we are. Identity versus role confusion is kind of the crisis during that time. And when we get this pouring in of attention about one particular part of our lives, it is so easy, so seductive to foreclose on all of the identities that you could develop. So you say, I'm an athlete. Now you foreclosed on being a musician at this, that, and the other. Okay. And then if you niche it down even more, I'm a volleyball player. What that ends up doing is it develops what's called a performance-based identity. The reason this is difficult for people is because your entire identity is at risk every time that you go do that performance. Just to throw in some examples, would you say it's the same as someone who identifies heavily as a parent or as an older sibling or as a leader in their work field? Yes. Okay. That's it. So those are all identities that are based around what you do. And then what's even more slippery around the technical term performance-based identity, it is relative to other people. So if we have identities about being smart as a student and you get a 69 out of 100 and everybody else gets a 68 or below, you're like, oh, well, relative to everyone else, like I did it. But you, there's this, all this other gap that you weren't able to close because you didn't have the ability to do it. No problems. But it's your relationship to other people that becomes um, the very prickly water to be able to, to navigate. And so 
performance-based identity is an identity about who you are based on what you do relative to other people. And that's an on-ramp to FOPO because you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. And when you do that, you start to think about an over-index and worry about what do they might think of me or what do others think of me relative to the performance of other people. I feel like that was a theme for me this whole past year and a half was really feeling like there's been a lot of space from volleyball days and my interests change and my passions change and things I want to talk about change and the fear of, will I be valuable to them? Will they care about me anymore? Will I be relevant? Will they think she should have done that, you know, or she should stay mm-hmm. this? So, Who's the they in, in that? Well, I think for me, it's, and I don't want to spend, I know this isn't relatable to everyone, but like with social media, you know, there is. Oh, this is a, this is relevant now. <laughs> of course it is. Like all of us yeah. are trying to navigate this. Wait, you know what? I'll say, speaking of fear of other people's opinions, the reason that I just said that when I shied away from me, like, let me not talk about the, my problem is I was looking at some of my YouTube comments in New York and they're like all positive, except this one really long one that was like, hi, Victoria. Like it was written pretty nice. Like, Oh, it's funny when they try to say like, I really like you, but here's all this criticism. Mm -hmm. But the person was like, you're talking way too much about your life as a content creator. And like, basically we don't care and no one else is a content creator. So like, stop talking about it. Mm. And it really like, I had to spend like 30 to 45 minutes, like going on with my day, but trying to do the mental work to like, let this go. Mm -hmm. But that opinion from someone else, like really affected me so much so that just now when you maybe social media came up that came into my mind and I thought, don't spend this episode on social media because people don't care. That's right. Yeah. It's so slippery how it works. And so that's a great point. Like you can have a hundred people in an audience and say, you know, you got scores that are tens out of tens on something you've done. And then one person gives you a two and we, we just over-focus on that because that's tuning to the, like, is that a signal that I might be getting rejected? And again, that was a death sentence. So our ancient brain tunes that to a a near death sentence. Mm. And so it's a very dangerous thing at some level. At another level, when we use locker room talk for a minute, when you catch a case of the fuckets and you're like, you've got a sense of wisdom about you and you say, oh, wait a minute. The directionality of this has been wrong for much of my life. The directionality is me to pour in to other people for me to give love, to share love, to share insight, whatever it is, rather than need anything in return. And that's one of the kind of deep insights that has made a difference for me. It's not, and it came from research, but it's not until I fully embodied this idea that one of the deep insights about quality of life is having people to love, not needing them to love you. Mm. So just the directionality is really important. And so, yeah, but the reason that's so spicy for you is because it's touching the, the the fear of rejection. And that fear of rejection was a death sentence at some point for your ancestors. If you're a longtime listener of RealPod, you might know that I have been drinking AG1 for three years now. So fun to talk about this on Dr. Mike's episode because he is a big ambassador for AG1 as well. We both love, love, love it. When I started drinking AG1, I immediately noticed that I felt like my body and my system was just so much more consistent and regulated. AG1 being that thing I have every single morning without fail is so great for my body because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. And since 2010, actually, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I take my AG1 in the morning. I drink it. I prefer it with cold water. And then going on with the rest of my day, I know that I have this really great base of nutrients that my body loves, appreciates, and needs. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been one of my partners for so long. It starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drink AG1.com slash RealPod. That's drink, 
ag1.com slash realpod to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Check it out. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I literally went to therapy last week. I go every other week. It is a part of my monthly routine. I just love going and checking in and making sure that I'm handling the situations in my life and personally, the best way that I possibly can. And sometimes we need an outside person to help us navigate all the things that we might not be able to figure out on our own. Not to mention, this time of year can be a lot. It's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety when most people are feeling joy and excitement. I know that last year's holiday season was especially hard for me, and I was definitely seeing my therapist to help cope with those times. And look, therapy can be that bright spot amid all of the stress and change. Also, BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash RealPod today to get 10% off your first month. I mean, 10% off your first month. That is so great. Head to BetterHelp. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash RealPod today to get 10% off your first month. I'm super proud of you and you can do this. So how do we stop fearing the opinions of other people? So David Foster Wallace had a, a, a great poem that he wrote about fish, you know, swimming. And so there's two fish swimming and there's an old fish swimming in the opposite direction. And the old fish says, how's the water, boys? And the two fish, young fish keep swimming along. And then eventually one of them turns to the other and says, what the hell is water? <laughs> so the old wise fish <laughs> so funny. was pointing out like the reality that we sometimes don't examine, but is obvious at some level. And so the reality here for most of us is this ancient brain is so powerful and it's tuned to other people's opinions. Just recognizing that, I think allows us to say, oh, we are swimming in this type of water. Mm. And so I think just hearing it is like a cool thing. And it helped me to recognize just that, like, oh, that's operating underneath the surface. What can I do about it? Well, just recognizing that it's operating is kind of step one in all spiritual and psychological best practices is awareness, mm -hmm. ground zero. So there is the one. And the second is, it's going to sound kind of like, heavy, if you will, but it's not meant to be. You I can love do it heavy. over. Do you? Mm -hmm. You can do it over a glass of wine and make it lighter if you wanted or not. So the heavy work is to become very clear of your first principles in life. What are the guiding principles for your thoughts, words, and actions that you want to be about? And when you think about the greats, I mean, the true greats, Mother Teresa, for example, comes to mind right now, or Amelia Earhart comes to mind. Like they were about it. They had an idea of what, how they wanted to spend their time. And they were so consistent being that way that when they showed up, even in the most rugged environments, they could still be it. So becoming clear of your first principles allows you to eventually get to conviction. So from clarity to conviction is a psychological arc that I think we value, but most of us don't put in the work in between. And here's the work in between. First order of business clarity. What are your first principles? Get those things dialed in. Second is practice the mental skills that are required for you to be able to express that first principle in stressful environments. So from clarity to conviction, what sits in the middle are mental skills. There's only five. You could practice five. I can practice five. Mental imagery, self-talk, breathing goal setting, pre-performance readiness. There's only a handful of these things to go after. And you can practice those mental skills the same way you practice physical or technical skills. That is meaningful work. Okay. I'm obsessed with this. Are you? Yes. Oh, cool. Like I'm so excited. So I need a few more details with the principles. How many are we supposed to have? Like, do we, cause I imagine if you have like a hundred, that's too many. Like you want like three to five, like really guiding principles? Yeah, I think that you could have a hundred. That's cool. Like it, 
it's too much to practice. You have 100. Be about it. I've got a lot of principles. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I think for me, it's too hard to organize training around that. So what I would do is, what I did is I just wrote down all the ones that came up to the surface for me. And it's inspired by lyrics and poems and great thinkers and doers and my grandmother and grandfather and like just, you know, phrases and ideas that matter to me. And then take that work. And you know what? Why don't we just, we'll talk about it in great detail now, but for folks that maybe are driving and listening, we'll figure out a way to send this to them, like a form to be able to do it. That'd be great. Maybe they just email us at hello at findingmastery.net and then put in the in the subject line, first principles. Okay. And we'll so set, do you hear we'll that? You can email that address. Okay. So get a long list going and then start to look at the ones that bubble to the top for you right now. We do not need to go get a neck tattoo. <laughs> we, this is not permanent. This is like just a work in progress. Notice the ones that bubble up to you, circle those and circle the most important word in those. Okay. So you see how we're, do, we're starting to reduce this down. Is a principle though, sorry, I'm literally have so many questions. Like the principle is honesty and like transparency, not okay. making lots of money. Oh, uh, could, that could be a principle. Okay. So there's yeah. no rule to what the principle is. No. So honesty and transparency are values. Okay. Okay. So values and first principles, they're cousins. Okay. So if you wanted just to list the values, you could. The reason I say first principles is because sometimes I need some flavor around that value. I need some words to describe that value the way I want to do that value, right? So some people want to say brutal honesty. So that's like a first principle as opposed to the the value is honesty. Mm. Does that make sense? I don't, I'm not about brutal honesty, by the way. That's not mine. I probably wouldn't say that either. Like when I said honesty, transparency, I meant like, that's how I'm going to live my life. And every word that I say. That's it. And then, so those are the values. So those could bubble up and just be where I'm, I'm, I'm taking us to, which is your personal philosophy for life. So if you take your first principles and the values that sit inside of them, and you were to stitch together one or two, or maybe three sentences, something that you can hold in your memory, something that you can easily say, and something that you could practice almost all of it every day, Now we're getting to something, okay? So you do that first pass, ideas, circle some values and some phrases that matter. And then the next, the third step is to put it into a sentence or two. Now, if you could get that sentence or two down to a word or two, love and transparency, it's so much easier to practice those because that's what matters. Clarity, love and transparency. Now, how are you practicing just like you did as an athlete? So here's, let me push the chair back from the table for a minute. I've spent the last 25 years of my life understanding the psychology of excellence. Excellence is being at home with yourself wherever you are and being able to access your craft. Like it's a path of mastery. And the last 10 years, I've said, this world of sport is a great laboratory, but how do I take those best practices and move them to larger ponds? So most people work. Most people spend most of their time inside of a shared vision of a company. So if I can start to spend some time in those environments, wow, I think that I could help a lot of people be better at being themselves versus just athletes. So the last 10 years, we've been crosswalking these best practices from sport into business. And this is one of the real big, deep, wonderful first pillars of becoming your very best is to do that. And it's a way to stop worrying about what people think of you because you're you're focusing on you and your values in a way that you're a good teammate and a good community member. Okay, hold on. Now, let me come right back here. At sport, what you did before practice, you had a coach or you yourself knew that I want to practice footwork. I want to practice, were you a setter or? I was a libero. Libero. So I want to practice holding my frame. I want to practice reading the book. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he knows I wa- a little something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to practice specific skills. Yeah. Okay. And whether your coach told you or you knew, you went in with that goal. Okay. You could call it an intention or a goal. And then you went and did the thing. And while you're doing the thing, you had this instrument, your body and, this, and your brain to give you instant feedback about how you're doing. Okay. 
Sometimes that instrument is sensitive and sometimes it's dull and blunted and not sophisticated. That's why we have external coaches. And those external coaches using film or their eyeballs are trying to point out a little bit better. And at the end, there's like a wrap up, an evaluation. So there's a bookend to this process. We need to do that same practice in life every day, Mm. right? And sport, there's a luxury that we've got coaches that are curating that for us. And the rest of us outside of sport, we're like floundering because we don't have a coach every day, a psychologist every day, a mentor every day that's saying, what are you going to be about today? What are your values and virtues? All right, how are you going to practice them today? And at the end of the day, how'd you, how'd you do? So we have to do it ourselves mm-hmm. along with like, I don't know, all the other things we need to do. It's hard. So if you can find a community, I think you're better off. I'm just thinking about how grateful I am that you share everything that you do with the world because you are one of the top performance psychologists in the world. You work with the top people. You could be one of those just, you know, word of mouth, name behind the scenes gurus. No one ever hears about until they're like an A-list celebrity or athlete. So I just I'm having a moment of how much I love that you uh, share this you. with everyone. Oh, so that's thank really you. kind. And then I had one more question about these philosophies. I'm reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and I'm really enjoying it. And something that has helped me is this realization that we actually can't use words to, like, encapsulate our identity, the essence of who we are. Like, there's so much about a feeling and a quiet and a presence, and I've I've enjoyed that. So how does finalizing your philosophy statement, you know, could you see there being some negatives there if then someone's like, well, this is the sentence that is me. And then they maybe don't realize that that could change as they change, you know? Yes. I think it's a sophisticated question. And let's, let's use a sport analogy for training and development. We get ourselves on a squat rack and we put a bar on, or maybe a, a dowel that weighs like one pound. And we work on form in that way. We'll never be in the environment of sport with a dowel or a bar or weight on our back. But we practice in certain ways to be able to express the fullness later. And so this is a methodology to practice in a very concrete way so that you're not lost in the ethers of the invisible world of psychology. Making the invisible visible is like a principle to help you move along the path from a ill-defined, dark sometimes, but overwhelming, invisible world of psychology, and just to make it concrete. And so you're giving yourself a pointer. And over time, what you've been pointing to for a while will lose its essence potentially. And maybe you are bigger than the word love. That'd be pretty dope, right? Jesus did a pretty good job. Mother Teresa did a pretty good job, you know, of like them going after best way of what they thought living was. So I don't, I don't think that this is narrowing in any way, Mm. but you might arrive at a place where you feel bigger or more expansive is what Eckhart is pointing to. And some of the, some of the gurus, and I use that word with reverence, some of the gurus of ancient times and modern times do point to something that is not concrete. Yeah. All the most interesting things, the most powerful things are invisible. Yeah. I appreciate that answer. I get it. It makes sense. My brain likes to make things definitive and like to make them concrete. And so it will be a good practice for me to like write and cement what matters to me in this present moment with the knowledge that it can evolve and I might feel differently. And I can almost see one of my principles being something of like tapping into your wise mind or like sitting in the quiet and like allowing the quiet to lead, you know, that's words, but it's referencing the space. Yeah. So that's what a principle is as opposed to a one word value. You can have both. And so what do you think Nelson Mandela's was? Justice. Yeah. That's pretty simple. Like, yeah. Like how about, oh gosh, who's your singer that you enjoy? Taylor Swift. (laughs) Just lost my mind for a minute, didn't I? Did you ever work with her? I'm your assistant for the day, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So good. What do you think that she stands for? Like, what what are some of her first principles? Oh my gosh. This is so funny. Like, my heart's pounding. I feel like I'm like, Is that right? I wonder why. Because I want to be correct. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that the whole episode? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that it? Like, that's actually it right there. Because your brain is just did that funny little thing. You know, and I listen, I'm not free from this. Yeah. Okay. But 
so even us just talking about it, like in that moment, there's actually like, oh, I think it's probably coming down a little bit. Your heart's actually not pounding through your chest right now, even just bringing awareness to it. Or is it getting worse? No, it's definitely better. (laughs) I think I found that a good coping mechanism is just the stating of what I'm feeling. Transparency. Yeah. So that's you practicing a first principle for you, a value for you. So that's awesome. Like, why do you think it pounded? Like, what was right underneath that? You wanted to be right for all the people that know that I'm such a big fan. And if I can't sum her up perfectly, am I really a fan? And then they're going to bully me. And then I'm going to get canceled by the Swifties. So complicated, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe she doesn't know her first principles or she hasn't like explicitly said them or it's not obvious or there's maybe lots of things. So my point is like, if you want to be a, a good community member here, and you want to be in a good relationship or whatever, is that how can we expect people to be great partners or teammates when we ourselves don't know what our most important values are? So if, if you and I are teammates and you don't know my first principles, how are you going to back me? How are you going to show up when I'm a disaster? Mm-hmm. And so that type of sharing of first principles we found creates a whole different level of relationship to help people go to the frontier of their potential because nobody does it alone. We need each other. Mm-hmm. So it starts with your relationship with yourself, relationship with others, relationship with experience, relationship with mother nature, and relationship with robots. So that's coming. <laughs> Machines are coming. And lastly, before I let you go, I do want to hear, Kent, do you have a principle you could share? Do you have your philosophy statement? <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. So quaint. It means a lot to me. And so I can unpack it, but that's, you know, we can save that for another time as well. Oh, well, thanks for sharing. I'm excited to do a lot of this work. And once again, I just so appreciate you for free sharing your knowledge with the world and the way that you do. And I love finding mastery. And anytime I'm like working with athletes or anyone who's dealing with anything mental, I'm like, do you follow Dr. Michael Gervais. I'm like, have you heard of Fighting Mastery? So sweet. Thank you. So thank you. And I'm really excited about this book and I'm excited to finish it. And I appreciate you coming on Real Pod. 100%. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of Real Pod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with Real Pod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.